Wednesday, June the 23rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Senate Republicans thwart voting reforms and the EU probes alphabet. First, the Walden Brief. Republicans in America's Senate stymied the Democrats for the People Act, which would safeguard voting rights. All 50 Republicans voted against opening debate on the bill, which might have favoured Democrats' chances in future elections. It would have needed 60 of the Senate's 100 votes to proceed. Republican-led state assemblies, meanwhile, are passing a phalanx of restrictive voting laws. The European Union opened a formal antitrust investigation into allegations that Alphabet abused its market power in the advertising technology market. The probe, the broadest Google's owner has faced, will examine, among other complaints, whether it unfairly favoured its own tech business over competitors by restricting their access to user data that power its offerings. The first trial heard under Hong Kong's national security law began without a jury. Tong Ying Kit is accused of participating in a protest on July 1st, 2020, the day after the law came into effect, at which he flew a protest banner and rode his motorbike into police. He faces charges of terrorism and, inciting secession, he could be sentenced to imprisonment for life. More than 100 Hong Kongers face similar charges. Morgan Stanley, a top investment bank, will forbid unvaccinated staff and clients from its premises in New York after July 12th. It will rely on an honour system and ease social distancing protocols indoors. BlackRock, a giant fund manager, had introduced a similar measure last week, though most of Wall Street and other firms had left such medical matters to employees' discretion. Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious disease expert, warned that the highly transmissible Delta variant is now responsible for 20% of the country's new COVID-19 cases. A report by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention predicted it could become America's dominant strain by mid-July. He emphasized that vaccines have proven highly effective against the mutation, which was first identified in India. The Vatican wrote to Italy's ambassador to the Holy See, warning that a proposed law designed to fight discrimination and violence against LGBT people threatened the church's, quote, freedom of thought. The bill, introduced last year, attempts to bring Italy closer to anti-discrimination norms in Europe. The Vatican also argued Catholic schools should be exempted from a proposed, quote, national day against homophobia. Taliban fighters in Afghanistan are gaining territory rapidly ahead of the withdrawal of foreign troops. The UN Special Envoy said insurgents have taken more than 50 of 370 districts since May, many around provincial capitals, and sketched, quote, dire scenarios ahead. Beleaguered Afghan security forces are struggling to recoup losses. America plans for its troops to be gone by September 11th. And fact of the day. The global spending power of gay consumers is $3.9 trillion annually. And now here's today's agenda. Bear Hug. Russia Security Conference. Western leaders slammed Russia two summits last week for its aggressive behaviour and human rights abuses. Now it is Russia's turn to take the podium. The Moscow Conference on International Security, run by the country's defence ministry, opens today with a speech by Sergei Shoigu, the long-standing defence minister. Mr Shoigu believes it is Russia that faces a growing threat from the West, with American bombers flying near Russian borders, NATO warships in the Black Sea, and ever-larger exercises by NATO. 
Russia believes that the West is seeking to prize Belarus from its orbit and draw Ukraine closer to NATO. Europe is not its only concern. One of the conference's first sessions will address Asia. Earlier this month, Russia's navy conducted its largest exercise in the Pacific Ocean since the Cold War, just a few hundred kilometres from Hawaii. For Russia, as for NATO, China looms large. Forbidden Fruit Apple Daily to Close Hong Kong's most outspoken pro-democracy tabloid will be forced to shut in a matter of days. A crackdown on the Apple Daily newspaper is taking place under the auspices of a national security law imposed by China on the territory last year. Last week, the authorities froze the company's assets and arrested five of its bosses, including its editor and chief executive. They were both charged with colluding with foreign powers and denied bail. It was the first time the authorities have charged an editor under the draconian new security law. Hong Kong was once renowned for its boisterous and outspoken press. Not anymore. The chill throughout the city's news outlets is palpable. Jimmy Lai, the owner of Apple Daily and an outspoken critic of China's Communist Party, is in jail and faces life behind bars. Despite the party's squelching of what it sees as rotten apples, docile news outlets that favour Chinese rule seem inspired. Orange News, one such online media outlet, hopes to beat its rival fruit. Musical Chairs SoftBank's Investors Meet SoftBank's chief executive, Son Masayoshi, Masa, is back on form. His company's recent record-beating profits restored investors' faith. Even so, they probably want a few restraints. A number of board appointments are up for approval at SoftBank's virtual annual general meeting today. They will be scrutinised closely. SoftBank's board was once stuffed with Massa's longtime allies. Some were heavyweight billionaires, such as Jack Ma and Yanai Tadashi, whose opinions could change SoftBank's direction. Both left in recent years. Now SoftBank has more independent directors, but none has their stature. Tomorrow's key appointment is the replacement for SoftBank's first ever female board director, Kawamoto Yuku. The corporate governance expert is leaving for a government job after just a year. Her nominated replacement is Erikawa Kiko, an entrepreneur and investor whose married wealth makes her one of Japan's few female billionaires. Mrs. Erikawa has much in common with Masa. He may be especially swayed by her views. Black Zero No More Germany's Budget Olaf Scholz, the formerly frugal German finance minister who is also the Social Democratic Party's candidate for Chancellor, will today present his draft budget for 2022. He is planning to increase borrowing by an additional 100 billion euros, 119 billion dollars, to help Germany's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. That is 18 billion euros more than the finance ministry forecast as recently as March. Much of the new debt will be for spending on healthcare and on measures to fight climate change. His plans are controversial, with fiscal hawks as they mean a suspension of the Schludenbremse, the constitution's borrowing limit, for a third straight year. But they will be popular with voters, who have defected in droves from the SPD to other parties in recent years. But the Social Democrats should not get their electoral hopes up too high. Final parliamentary approval of the budget will only happen after this September's parliamentary elections. (laughs) 
Money for old code. Selling off the internet. Today, Sotheby's, a 277-year-old auction house, puts the World Wide Web up for sale. Bidding starts at $1,000 and will run for a week. On the block is code from the first ever web browser, which was written by Sir Tim Berners-Lee while working at CERN, Europe's particle physics laboratory three decades ago. Sir Tim is selling the 9,555 lines of code for charity as a non-fungible token, a buzzy technology that proves ownership of a digital good. NFTs exist on blockchains, a technology also used to record cryptocurrency transactions. In March, an NFT of a digital collage made by an artist called Beeple sold for $69 million. Tweets and videos of famous sporting moments have all been flogged as NFTs. Skeptics question whether they have any practical use. The buyer of Sir Tim's code can do little with it beyond bragging. But Sir Tim is more optimistic, calling NFTs the internet's quote, latest playful creations. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alan Turing, who was born on this day in 1912. We can only see a short distance ahead, but we can see plenty there that needs to be done. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.